And I'm really excited to be here and share a word with you guys. Um, it's my second time preaching on a Sunday here at New Philly, and my first time preaching on a campus other than the one that I attend, which is Hongdae. But, um, but I feel like I, I'm coming home when I come to Itaewon. Just because, um, you know, you guys are all lovely people. I know many of you guys at this campus, but I also lived here for quite a bit. When I first came to Korea, actually, I lived uh, with Pastor Marcus and Pastor David on, um, just um, a five-minute walk away from this building. So, man, Itaewon is where, was where it all started for me. And so to kind of come back here is kind of like a homecoming. And, um, and now we live in Hapjong. We moved. Um, and Pastor Marcus and I, you know, we're, we're brothers. We live together. Um. <laughs> no, but really, uh, Pastor Marcus is someone I, I really respect greatly. Um, he really is a dear brother to me. I mean, we've lived together now for over two years and a half. And, um, and yeah, you know, you guys have a mighty man of God as your pastor. Who not only, you know, talks the talk and plays a pastor role here, but he walks the walk at home. And, I, and I'm able to see him. Um, I'm able to see him walk the walk at home. <laughs> but anyways, um, I love Pastor Marcus, and um, I hope he loves me. <laughs> and uh, when I love someone, and, and I have an opportunity to minister to a people who are dear to that person's heart, like, I don't know, for me, I take it extra personally. And so um, I'm excited because, you know, I, I know you guys. I mean, this is Pastor Marcus's um, flock. You know, you guys... You guys are his congregation, and, um, and so um, I'm excited about that, and I take that personally that I get to minister to a people that he cherishes so much. So this word, um, it, was, it wasn't birthed out of kind of like, hey, it's just another speaking opportunity, but it's, it's, I take it very personally. So I'm excited that it's, it was birthed out of love, and I've got a lot of faith and confidence that this word will bless you today, and it will set you free. Do you guys believe that? Amen. Amen. Um, so the season of my life, I wish I could tell you the Lord's been highlighting some profound revelation, some profound truth that you've never heard before or, you know, I just never known in my entire life I've been a Christian. But I, I've been realizing he's been highlighting something that's very basic. He's been highlighting something that's very elementary. And he's been highlighting something that we all need to do to even just be a Christian. And uh, what am I talking about? This afternoon, I want to speak on believing. Everyone say believing. believing. My message title this afternoon is called, Don't Be Afraid, Just Believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid, just believe. Because you see, many of us find it easy to believe when we first become a Christian, don't we? You know, you just you say a prayer, you accept Christ in your life, and... And for many of us, I mean, it's not the hardest thing in the world. You know, we, we, we do it with joy, we do it with hope, and we do it with expectancy. And uh, it's easy to believe when we become a Christian, the basic stuff. But isn't it strange that, for some reason, many of us find it difficult to believe after we get saved? You know, after our salvation. For some reason or another, even though we believed when we became a Christian, it's like all of a sudden we find it hard to believe after. Whether it's for... You know, your future husband, your future wife, whether it's for a job promotion, whether it's for an open door, whether it's for a salvation or a healing or an addiction that you're trying to get free of. It's like, you know, we believe to receive salvation, but somehow, somewhere along the line, we just stop believing. Okay? And this afternoon, I just really felt the conviction in my heart that God 
He wants us to believe on him more than just for salvation. Amen? Amen. He's got something so much better for us than just being saved and just getting some certificate. You know, our walk with God is so much more than that. And you are not just saved from something, Itaewon, but you were saved to something. You were saved to a glorious future. Everyone say glorious. Glorious. It's not an average. It's not a somewhere down the middle. It's a glorious future because you follow and worship a glorious God. And he won't sell for anything less because that's just who he is. He's a God of glory. He's not a God of mediocre. He's not a God of, you know, struggling, getting by. He's a God of glory. And that's what we see in the Bible. And that's what I want to preach to you today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. I'm going to be reading in the NIV. But yeah, even before I read, I just want to just say a quick prayer for us. So, Father, we just thank you for this time, Holy Spirit, that we're, we just open our hearts right now for you to come and speak to us, God. Yeah. God, may your word run swiftly this afternoon. May your word sh- cut deep into our hearts, Father. And may you set us free from the various and uh, various things, Father, that... Um, that are just in our lives, God. I just thank you that your desire for us is freedom and your desire for us is glory. So um, come Holy Spirit and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So we're just going to read through 21 verses 43. It's kind of a long passage, but it's an awesome passage. So um, let's read together. I'll read. Just follow along with me. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. 
he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. 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 So here we have this wonderful passage about a synagogue ruler named Jairus. And he, Jairus comes to Jesus, and he's just like, Jesus, would you come? And he humbles himself. He's like falling on his knees. I mean, this synagogue ruler who is like very elevated, a very high-ranking ruler um, in the society, he humbles himself before Jesus falls on his knees and says, would you come and lay your hands on her so she may live? I mean, you notice one thing that this synagogue ruler does is he, he, he shows faith. You know, some people, they're just like, if you come, you know, like, can, can you come so that, you know, just, just pray for my daughter or whatever? But he's like, come and pray so she will live. So he's like showing extreme faith. And I know sometimes when we read the New Testament and we look at Pharisees or we look at synagogue rulers, they sometimes get a bad rep, don't they? It's kind of like, man, these guys are religious. They have no faith whatsoever. But this guy is a guy with faith. All right? He's a guy with faith. And he's like, Jesus, please come. And, um, and one thing about faith is that faith moves Jesus. Okay, and literally, he moves. He goes with the synagogue ruler in the crowd. I wasn't trying to be corny there. There's something there for us to take away too. But he moves. He's moved by the faith of the official. And then they go along. And all of a sudden, as they go along, this woman comes out of nowhere. This woman just comes out of nowhere. And she's just been bleeding for like 12 years. Oh, man. I don't know how many of you guys know what it's like to suffer for something for so long. And like, you know, visit every doctor that you know and still not get a cure, still not get anything and, man, it's crazy. And that's what she's kind of been dealing with for, like, 12 years of her life. And then she hears about Jesus. And for some reason, I think this woman is a, a woman of faith, too. Okay? Because if you're not a woman of faith, if you're not a person of faith, there is no way you can have the boldness and the guts and determination to go out in public when you're already kind of unclean because of a bleeding issue. Because back in society, you can't go out in public like that. You have to call out people, you know, you know, stay away from me because when people touch you and you're bleeding, they have to make a sacrifice and get cleansed, and it's a whole mess. But anyways, she, <laughs> she would not have the guts to go out there unless she had some sort of relationship with God, unless that she had a certain intimacy with God. Scripture doesn't say for sure, but when I pray about it, you know, I'm just thinking, like, there's something there in her life where she's like, I'm going to continue to believe. Every doctor's failing, I'm going to continue to believe. And you know what? This guy, Jesus, comes along. I, I believe in him. You know, I believe there's something upon him. And you know what? He's probably not going to stop to touch me because, you know, people just can't do that to me. But, you know, I'm going to try to see if I'm going to touch the edge of his cloak. And if I do that, maybe, maybe just I'll be healed. And so she does. She goes behind. And it's like the most craziest, foolish thing. In the, I mean, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. But, you know, if, if, I, was, if I had a stomach problem, I mean, I did, I'll share about that later. But if I had an issue, <laughs> if I had an issue, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, and, and I was struggling with it for a long time, and I, and, and I knew that some anointed man of God, anointed healing minister comes by. Like, I, I don't think I would have enough faith to just be like, okay, um, if I just touch his boots or something. I don't know. Or if, I, if he's wearing a jacket and I just happen to, like, bump him, like, you know. You know, like, maybe, like, maybe that'll heal me. You know, I don't know if I have the faith for that. You know, I, I would barely have the faith just to go up to him and be like, can you just lay all your hands on me. <laughs> How many you got? I don't know. Just lay it on me. I need it. I mean, I, I would maybe just have enough faith just, just to receive healing for that. So this woman, man, I'm just trying to paint a picture. She's a woman of faith. Everyone say faith. faith. And so she goes, she, she's like, all right, all right, this is just my one chance. You know, I'm imagining people are like around her and she's like, you know, she's like, you guys ever see movies when you're like in a crowd and you're like, Argh. she's kind of like that. And she just, bam, she just touches like the edge of his, edge of his, uh, edge of his cloak, and then immediately the bleeding stops. 
And immediately she gets freed from her suffering. And, and, and Jesus, like the crazy thing about Jesus is that he's just like, you know, he's just getting, he's, he's getting like, you know, claustrophobic size. I don't know. He's, he's got people all around him. And I don't know how he feels it, but he notices something. And so he just turns around and he's like, stop. Someone touched me. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, no, really, Jesus. <laughs> like, people, we're, we're all like touching you right now. He's like, no, someone touched me. And, um, and, 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 she, and she's just like continuing to look, continue to look, and this woman falls. She, this woman's like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, like, that was me. That was me. And, and he knows it. He knows that I, I, I stolen something from him. I, I took something from him. Oh my goodness. This is, oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so this woman just, you know, she, she just confesses. She's got nothing to lose. She comes before Jesus. And it's like, it was me. I did it. I've been suffering all this long. I know you're a prophet. I know you're a mighty teacher. And I know you're a holy man, but. You know, yeah, it was just me. And I'm, I'm just like thinking like, man, what is she expecting from Jesus? And, uh, and Jesus actually, you know, she doesn't, he doesn't go, he doesn't do what any holy man of that society would have done. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have done that. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything like that. But he, he, the first word out of his mouth is daughter. Daughter. And if you, if you look in the Greek for that word daughter, it actually means daddy's little girl. It's a very intimate phrase. Like, you don't just go around saying, hey, daughter, what's up? I mean, it's like a very intimate, intimate phrase you, you would only use between in the family, you know, with a daddy and a loved one. So the first word out of, out of his mouth is daughter. And he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Be free from your suffering. And, um, and okay, so, like, that's crazy. That, that goes on. And meanwhile, I'm just wanna, I want to go back to Jairus, okay? Like, Jairus, his daughter, is about to die, okay? Like, she is on life support, and you need Jesus to get there as soon as possible. But while this is all going on, it's nice and dandy. It's great for that woman. But what is going on in the mind of Jairus? What is going on in his mind? You know, I, you know I, I bet he's putting up a good kind of like, okay, this is good. Oh, she's been healed. Praise God. You know, this is so good. But inside, if I was Jairus, I'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing? Okay? What are you doing? I mean, she's been healed already. I mean, that, we've got that established already. Let's move on. Let's go. Okay? Like, oh my goodness, Lord, my, my daughter is going to die. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not a parent. I don't have a daughter. Okay? But if I were to imagine, I would think as a parent and, and, your, and your little girl is dying, like, I would be going crazy. I'd be like, you know, I'd be, I'd be like, I'd be like manifesting in public or something. I'd be like, come on, Jesus, get on with it. Come on. And, and, you know, it's like, Jesus is like playing tag, you know, with this, with this, with this girl, with this woman. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay. Can, can we move on? Can we move on? And then, and then it's like, oh, for Jairus, like the worst thing about it is that while Jesus is ministering, it's like, like these guys come from his house and they're like, your daughter is, is dead. Um, why bother to teach her anymore? I mean, he's got horrible friends. It's like, it's like, you say that, your daughter just died, and you're just like, your daughter's dead, why bother to teach her anymore? I mean, it's like, can you be a bit more, like, nice? Can you, can you be more loving? Can you be like, oh, I'm so sorry? It's like, don't bother him anymore. And then, um, and then, I don't even know what's going on in Jerry's heart at that point. He's just like, I mean, think about it. Your daughter just died. You received news of your daughter dying. Like, how would you respond to that? Okay? But then Jesus immediately turns and tells him, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Jairus, it's okay. I knew this was going to happen. 
this, I, this doesn't catch me off guard. Relax. You're with me. Calm down. I've got, I've got things under control. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And at that moment, man, if I was Jairus, I'd still be like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, he had this faith. And now, like, and you guys, keep in mind that Jesus at this point, I don't know if you guys knew, but he's never resurrected the dead up to this point. So it's not like he has some, like, amazing, like, Jairus, by the way, I raised Lazarus. I raised it, you know. It's not like he can do that. Like, this is, Jesus has never raised the dead at this point. So this teacher's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, man. You know, it's, it's probably all over now. But then, but then Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And, um, and you know, I'm thinking in Jairus' mind, he's just like, okay, all right. You know, I guess it's worth a try, right? It's worth a try. Um, you know, sometimes when you lose a loved one, it, the chalk doesn't really hit you until later on, you know? So maybe something like that's going on in his mind. He's like, you know what? My daughter isn't dead. But let's, let's just give it a shot. Anything. Anything. And so they go to the house. And then when they go to the house, they, ha- they find the, the house filled with people who are just bawling their eyes out. People who are mourning and weeping. And then, um, and then Jesus comes in. <laughs> and, and, and when I read this, it's just, it just strikes me so funny because it's like Jesus is first of all late. You know, he, like, he had an appointment with a synagogue ruler. Okay? And then he comes late to, to stop for like a no one on the street. And, um, and that, that is true because that, that, that lady was kind of a no one. And, and, and he kind of comes along. And then when people are, like, weeping and, like, mourning, he's just like, guys, what's with all the noise? What's with all the commotion? You know? It's like, stop crying. I mean, what is wrong with you guys? What's with all the noise? And uh, I'm just like, you know, we read this, and we have all these, like, whitewashed images of Jesus, okay? And it's good. You should, because he's, he's good. He's holy. He's pure. Um, but you have all these images of Jesus, and then when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that was not nice. <laughs> Like, you kind of you kind of come in, and you're just like, shut up! <laughs> I mean, you walk into a funeral and yell, shut up. I mean, like, I don't know. I would never do that, okay? Um, and he's just like an arrogant guy. And then, and then after that, he's completely insensitive, okay? I mean, and then he has a nerve to say, the girl is not dead. She's asleep. You know, it's just like, it's like, what would you do if you were, peop- if you were mourning there? I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, I went through seminary. I, I took my class on pastoral care training. Jesus would have completely failed, okay? He would have been banned from, from doing public ministry or anything like that, okay? Like, if I went to a funeral and acted the way Jesus did, I, I would be scared for my life. You know, I would expect to be mobbed by the people there. And then uh, it gets even better. Jesus, if that wasn't enough, he kicks everyone out. <laughs> He's like, get up, get up, stop crying. You know, get, get Get out of here. I mean, I don't think he really physically kicked them, but, but he, was, he just takes and moves him out of the house. And I'm just like, Jesus, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? I mean, God, let them grieve. Let them grieve. You know, be humane. You're the God of mercy, aren't you? You know, it's like, let them grieve. I mean, if she gets healed, great. But for now, just be sensitive, Jesus. Be sensitive, Jesus. You've insulted the household. You don't have to kick them out, okay? But he does that. He kicks everyone out. And I mean, I look at this thing, I look at the story and I'm, I'm seeing these things in a new light. And it's just like, man, Jesus was a complete jerk. He was a complete jerk. I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? You guys are like, you guys are like, are you really Christian right now? I am, okay? I'm getting somewhere. Let's, let's, let's be real here. Jesus, he's good. He's good. There's no falsity in him. There's no lie in him. There's nothing malicious in him. There's nothing, um, you know, 
There's nothing bad within him. There's no darkness with him. There's only light. So when I read this and I ask the Holy Spirit to come to me, like, God, what, what are you doing here? Do you know what Jesus is doing here? What he's doing, he's pretty much calling out death in the most harshest way possible. He's pretty much flouting all the spiritual authorities. You know, th- th- do you know what this kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of Braveheart. Okay, I don't know if you guys watched that. Um, I know some of you guys are a little younger, so there may be a little generation gap. Um, um, but Braveheart, there's a scene when, um, when Mel Gibson, in his first major battle, okay, he comes in, he says that crazy speech. You guys know what, you guys know what I'm talking about, that speech? And then, and then when the British officers come to the middle of the field to parlay and just, you know, and, 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 you know, give these Scottish nobles a chance to surrender, you know, like these Scottish nobles go out and they want, you know, they want Braveheart to stay back. You know, like, don't get involved in this. You're a crazy man painted in blue. Like, just don't get involved. But then <laughs> he gets involved. He starts writing out, you know, and then, and then, and then they're there gathered together and, you know, they come together very civilly in very orderly way and they're talking through terms of, terms of condition. But Mel Gibson, he's just like, he's not having it. He's just like riding around these guys. He's like, he's like bullying their horses. He's like, <laughs> and these guys are like, And then they're like, they're like, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? And Bill Gibson's like, I'm picking a fight. You know, I'm picking a fight. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to start a fight with these guys. Like, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He is picking a fight with death. He is picking a fight. You know, you know what? This will drive it even a point further. I bet none of you guys ever saw it like this. But we always talk about Jesus. There's only one incident where we were, we, we, you know, we kind of justify Jesus for being a jerk. And that's when he enters the temple courts, right? And he makes whips. And he's, you know, he just, he kicks everyone out. And then he's like, my house shall be a house of the Lord, a house of prayer. You know, and, and, and he kicks all the money changers out. This is kind of another scene like that, guys, where he's coming in. And he's saying, guys, get out. My house shall be a house of life and not death. My house shall be a house of faith and not unbelief. Okay? I'm not going to take this crap. So Jesus does that. That's what's going on right here. All right, man, and he's what he's doing here is that he's he's acting with a zeal for faith. He's acting with a zeal for belief. And sometimes you need zeal to deal with unbelief to keep it real. You need zeal to deal to keep it real. Everyone say that back with me. You need zeal to deal to keep it real. That's good. Come on. Okay. Okay. I thought that was pretty good, though. <laughs> it just came to me while I was, like, worshiping back there. I was like, wow, zeal, deal, real. You know, it's going to minister to you. Just, just let it soak there, okay? You might laugh at me right now, but it's going to come back. Okay, and so Jesus is just, he's doing that. He's acting with a zeal, with the zeal of God, okay? He's not a normal man. He's not another prophet. He's not another teacher, you know, who can heal people, you know, randomly. Like, this is God. This is almighty God in whom... He has all the power in the world. Nothing is impossible. So he comes in, and with all the authority behind being God, he does this. And now it makes so much more sense. It's like, wow, Jesus. Yeah, you know, you could have actually been a lot worse than, than what you did. But this is what Jesus does. And, um, and he's already changing the atmosphere of this place. Because he's just like, you know what? He gets everyone out, and he's like, let me find a few people who are just willing to believe. Just a few people. And uh, he takes with him, you know, his three disciples. And he takes with him the parent and the mother. And they go in. And it's like Jesus saying, you know what? I don't need a hundred people with me, okay? Okay, just a few people who believe we can do crazy things, okay? Faith, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, it's enough to move mountains, amen? 
That's what Jesus is saying here, okay? Let me just find a few people. Just even the faith size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And that's what he's doing. He's changing the atmosphere of the place already. He's coming in. And with this all being set up, like God is like setting the stage. He, 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 he goes up. He enters into that room where the, where the body of the girl lies. And he takes the hand of the girl. And, you know, it's not like some long ministry sort of. You know, I mean, like, when we minister and we pray for the sick people, I feel like all of us were just like, oh, you know, we want to choose the right words, you know. We want to copy words from Bethel or IHOP or, or New Philly. And, and, you know, we're just like, if, if you guys know what I'm talking about, when you pray, you have that prayer language, right? It's like, oh, Lord, uh, release your kingdom, release your power, healing power, um, blood of Christ, um, 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 you know, just anything you can think about. But Jesus is just like, life has entered this room right now. He takes, the, he takes the hand of that girl and says two words, Talitha kum. Everyone say Talitha Kum. Talitha Kum, it does not mean so much, young lady, I tell you, arise. Uh, you know, it does not mean that it says, Talitha Kum. Talitha means, you know, it means like, ah, uh, screwed it up. Okay, Talitha means, it means young lady, okay? And Kum means arise, all right? It's just like two words, like young lady, arise. It's like, it's like a phrase of authority. It's a phrase of power. It's a phrase saying like, I'm in control all the time. Death, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm in control. Get up, girl. Get up. You know, that's what, that's what he's saying. And then this little girl immediately, it's not like the girl's just like, uh, what, what happened? You know, this girl immediately gets up and starts walking around. <laughs> I imagine that when I, when I look at the scene. She, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, she starts walking around. I mean, like, doesn't she want to just sit down for a bit and take a breather, you know? You just overcame death. But she's just like walking around. He's like, what happened? You know, what happened? That's what Jesus does. Walk, the girl starts walking around, and the parents are just left astonished. They're like, you know, they're like, oh, my goodness, it's not, this, 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 this did not just happen. And then Jesus says, you know what, give her something to eat. Give her some food. And it's almost as if he's trying to say, like, when you, when you see her eat, like, a snack or something, you'll believe that it's real. When you see her do something like that. And... Um, and other people would say Jesus is very holistic. You know, he cares not just about our spirits, but about our bodies as well. Just throwing that in there. We're, we, we've been in a series of wisdom, so you can't blame me for throwing that in. So amazing story, right, guys? It's like we got two scenarios, and it's like you got to choose one or the other, it seems like, at the beginning. It's like you can't do both. And, and it's like Jesus comes along and says, well, I'm God. I can do both. And bam, bam. And, 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 and he saves the lives of both these people, and there's like greater glory going up to God. Like, that's, how, that's who our God is. Our God is glorious, amen? amen? He's not a God of just like, oh, let's just kind of get by. Let's just try to, let's just, let's just, you know, get enough so that, you know, we can have something that we can call a testimony. But God is like, no, I am dream big. <laughs> nothing, literally nothing is impossible for me. And you see, that's our God. Like, that's, what, that's his part, okay? It's not on our part to try to do anything. It's not on our part to try to make things happen. But that's God. That's his show. But you know what, God? The only thing, the only thing he asks us to do, the only thing he's asking us to do, guys, is believe. Believe. That's what the little, that's what, that's a steady dream, steady dream, steady stream that you see through this past. People believing and believing and believing. And then he had a crisis point and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And then believe, believe, believe. That's all God is asking us to do, believe. See, it's easy. For God, as I said, many times to make things happen. Nothing is too hard for him. He can give you what you want, okay? And he can give it to you quite easily, quite simply, all right? It's not, it doesn't take much effort on his part, okay? But the only thing he's saying, guys, look, 
just, can, can you believe? If you just believe, it'll happen. Just believe. No matter what you're going through, no matter what, what situation, no matter what road, um, what road bump you've come across, believe. I don't care how big your problems are. You just saw what I did. Believe, believe. It requires us faith. Everyone say, believe. believe. Amen. That's our challenge, and that's what God is calling us to do. And now, um, in regards to like, there's, now there's three things that I want, with all that said, there's three things, three applications from this passage that will help us to um, stay in the place of faith. Three things that will help us to sustain the storms in our life. You know, three things that will help us just to get through and remain in a place of faith and belief. And, um, and what I love about these three points is that I just, I, it's all in one verse, okay, in this, in this chapter. Let's look at verse 36. Verse 36. Okay. Now Jesus says here, uh, um, well, I'm going to read. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. There's three important points um, that are hidden, um, that are in this verse that we can, we can kind of see. Okay, so the first point that we see is that when these guys come along, okay, and, and, and Jairus is there, and they're like, they're like, your daughter is dead. Stop bothering the teacher anymore. The first thing Jesus did, what did he do? He ignored. He ignored, guys. He ignored the voice of, of doubt. He ignored the voice of the enemy. He ignored the devil. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The statements that those guys said, you know, your daughter is dead. Stop bothering the teacher anymore. Those statements themselves are very powerful, there's a lot of demonic agendas within those kind of statements if you analyze them. For example, your daughter is dead. When you look at it another way, it really means what you believe for won't happen. It's over. It's impossible. Okay, and, and that's a way that the enemy can attack our faith. That's a way the enemy can attack our belief. Just even through a statement like that. You know, what you're believing for won't happen. Um, so these, these statements of that guy, it, sound, it, it looks kind of simple. It goes along with the story, but there's actually a message in it for us for us to take guard against. Okay, so your daughter said, and then, um, and then it says, why bother the teacher anymore? And doesn't the enemy come alongside a lot of times saying, why, why, are you, why are you bothering God? He doesn't care about you. You know, just move on, okay? Just give up on this. You're bothering God. And that's the strategy and tactic of the enemy, isn't it? He will attack your hope, and, he will start, and then he will attack, which is worse, your knowledge of God. You know, God, he'll turn around this idea of a good God who loves you and cares for you. And then he'll turn it around to make you think that God doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. Okay, you're one in just six billion people. He could care less for what you're going through. That's what the enemy could do. And many of, many of us, maybe we've just been thinking about those lies and thinking about those things. And maybe many of us have been coming to agreement, you know, with the devil rather than doing what Jesus did. We're just ignoring him. Ignoring him. So... Etam, we need to break that habit today. Amen? Yes. We need to break that habit. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. Yeah. All right? You got you to guard your head. You got to ignore the voice of the enemy because the thing is, what's dangerous is that, and this is such a, a solid principle that's been with me that I've learned for so long, but the devil doesn't have power over you, you know, in and of itself. But he only has power over you when you stand in agreement with him. Right. When, the devil only has power with you when you stand in agreement with him. He has no power unless you give it to him. So what we need to do is we need to refuse coming to agreement. We need to break our agreement with the devil and come into agreement with God. Amen? Amen? And that's what Jesus did. He ignored what he said. He disallowed the voice of the enemy. He refused to give the enemy space. All right? I mean, I've been learning so much that 
a lot of our spirituality, it's, it's in our mind. I, I, for a long time, I used to be very um, skeptic about this idea that, you know, because you, know, you hear a lot of these, you hear a lot of uh, positive thinkers, right, saying, guard your mind, guard your mind, and, you know, think, just think positive thoughts, think positive thoughts. And a lot of times I'd be like, shut up, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just all positive psychology, whatever. But there's something to it. There's something to it. The enemy, he's really after your minds. Because he can't get you to physically do a deed, but then he'll plant a seed in your mind, and then that seed, when it goes into a plant, it'll become death. See, every sinful act has its genesis in your mind. Like, get that. So we have to guard our mind. It's really important that we do that. We have to, we have to, we have to get into the habit of, of ignoring the enemy and what he would say against you. And that's what we need to do. Well, you may tell me, Pastor Joel, that's not so easy. You make it sound like, ooh, it's so easy to do. It's not easy. It's pretty tough. And I will agree with you. It is pretty tough. Okay, if we're honest. It is tough, but, but that's where the next step comes in. Okay? That's where the next step. Step number two, listen to the Lord. Everyone say, listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. So it says in verse 36, in knowing what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler. Jesus speaks to the synagogue ruler. Jesus breaks forth with his voice and his truth. He speaks. He imparts something. He releases something. He speaks. He, tell, he, he, he preaches to the synagogue ruler. Jesus speaks. I bet it wasn't easy for the synagogue ruler just to ignore the unbelief. Okay? But when Jesus comes in, and Jesus, he carries words of authority. Like, within, within him are words that establish the world, establish the universe, that created light out of darkness. When that voice says, don't be afraid, just believe. Something happens to your heart. Amen? Amen. So he speaks hope to yours, truth and life. And a lot of times, when you want to get rid of darkness, do you know what you need to do? You just need to turn on the light. When you step into a dark room, you don't try to, like, rebuke the darkness. You're like, you know, get, get away. You just flick a switch, turn on the light, and it goes away. And in the same way, that's what you need to do. You need to let Jesus speak to you. You need to respond with thanksgiving and praise and worship, and the lightness will, and the darkness will flee, will flee away. Let Jesus speak in your situation. And for that to happen, we need to make space for Jesus to speak to us. Okay, that's important. We need to make space. And Pastor Christian last week, he preached an awesome message about how we have different pathways to hear from the Lord and be intimate with him. But we need that time, that personal time in the word, that personal time in intimacy, whether you know, you're in your room and you're spending time with God or whether you're in the subway listening to worship music. Man, I don't know what you, some of you guys do on the subways. I mean, if you're living in Seoul, let's be honest, that's like 50% of our lives. We're in the subways. Like, what do you guys do with that time? Do you guys just play Candy Crush the entire time? I mean, you have so much time there to, like, commune with the Lord. I mean, I don't judge you, okay? There was a time in my life where I played Candy Crush, and, and I would miss my exit because I was like, oh, you know, I was just getting into it. Um, but, man, there's something about my day when I get into the subway, and I just close my eyes, and I just turn on some worship music, and I'm just, even though it's hard because people are around you, and there's, like, stinky breath and whatever, there's something about still, like, you know, your, your spirit reaching out to God, and God seeing that, and your spirit being edified, and letting the voice of God speak to you in that kind of way. Man, that's, that's how you listen to the Lord, even through things like that. Let the Lord speak to you. Um, he, speak to, he speaks to us through our community groups, you know, through the people in this house, through, through Pastor Marcus, through your, your, your pastors here in this house. He speaks to you to people. So what I'm saying is that you need, to, you need to give space for God to speak to you. You know, sometimes faith in your heart to ignore the enemy, it doesn't just come easily. It doesn't just come easily. You need people around you to speak that into you. And that's why we're called to be in community. That's why we're called to be a church. And so, honestly, guys, it's the worst thing you can do 
to, to just isolate yourself. It's the worst thing you do to kind of limit your church activity to once a week. All right? Because when you do that, it's like, you know, it's like when you enter church, it's like God, you know, Holy Spirit, you know, people speaking to you. And the rest of the week, it's like, you know, like other voices for like six days of the week. And then you come back to church and then it's like, you're not, you don't get anywhere, you know? You're like almost, you're paddling backwards. I kind of get my drift. But when you give yourself to community, you give God a chance to speak to you. And it gives you so much more strength to, to break, the, break off the enemy's lies. And that's why as a church, we're so big about our community. Um, yeah. This, this truth, actually, it didn't hit home to me unless I, until I had an experience with the Lord. When I was in seminary, um, I was serving at a church where I had a really tough senior pastor. Okay. Pastor Christian's tough. I'll give you that. I, I, I surrender him, so I know he's a, he's a tough guy. But, uh, but uh, Pastor Christian is also, <laughs> he's also a reasonable guy. You know? He's tough, but he gives like this tough, like macho, you know, I'm from Philly, yo. You know, he's got, he gives out that impression. But when you meet and talk with him, he's like the most generous guy. He's like a puppy. Oh, I hope he doesn't this. <laughs> I love you, PC. Um, but like, man, like when I was, I, I worked at a Korean church, and so um, I honor, I honor my pastor. But, but man, he was, he, you know, he, and I, I'm actually a product of just a lot of, you know, a lot of discipline that's come from being under him and things like that. But man, it was tough. Like if I was late to a meeting, like I'd be scared, you know, because he's like much older and, and. Um, you know, I just, I just had this fear of God or maybe fear of him, but I would just be scared. And I remember one time I was in seminary, um, I, I, I was at Princeton and my church was up in New York city. It's about an hour, hour and a half drive away. And I was late to a meeting, but then, uh, but then I spent time with God that morning. I spent time with God that morning and it was a good time with God. It was really good. And then I was in my car driving up the turnpike and I'm just trying to get there as fast as I can, but I know I'm going to be late. I'm just like, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I'm telling you, in any normal situation, I would have been, like, so filled with anxiety. In any normal situation, I would have been, like, you know, just, like, you know, just really, like, scared and afraid. But I'm telling you, like, there was something that carried over, that overflowed from my time with God. There was something of his voice in my heart that remained in that time so that when I was tempted to get anxious, this peace just rose up instead. Like, the spirit just rose up instead. And I was like, I'm not afraid. And I was like, why am I not afraid? This is like weird. You know, what's going on? And like, I, and then I was just, I, I started, I, I just, I relaxed a bit on the wheel. I, I took my time and I actually got to being in time. <laughs> like, I don't know how that happened. I was like, how, how'd you do that, God? But, but that, that kind of thing happened. And so like, guys, it's important to kind of make sure you have that time with the Lord. Okay. Cause when you're, when you're spending your time and you're being filled with the spirit, it's not hard for you to have peace in situations. Cause when you're getting filled with the spirit, it's like, other stuff is getting pushed out, you know? And so, like, there's, that stuff can't come back when, you, when, when there's something already occupying your spirit, your heart, the presence of God. You guys get what I'm saying? All right, so that's important. We need to listen to the Lord. It's the peace of God. It can't just be in your mind. It's gotta, it, the only way it comes down to your heart is when God supernaturally does it for you in times where you spend time with him, okay? I'm a philosophy major. I, I think everything through, you know, I think everything through, it does not happen anyway um, unless there's something supernatural that happens. So let the voice of the Lord speak to you, and you can do it through the various methods that I've shared with you. Amen. Um, finally, the third step is just believe. Everyone say, just believe. Just believe. All right. You know, yeah, guys, I just feel like many of us, if we're honest, we just have so much stuff in our lives right now. You just have so many mountains in front of you. You know, some of you have 
big dreams and hopes, but you're just like, it's, I don't know how it's going to happen. Like, God, oh, you know, it's just, there's so much stuff in the way. Like, how is it going to happen? And some of you guys are just struggling with maybe, you know, all of these different things. You know what I'm talking about. The Spirit is convicting you. But that's what this third point is about. Guys, just believe. Just believe. Just like Jairus did. Just like that woman did. Just believe. You don't have to strive. You don't have to go out of your way to make something happen for yourself. Let God make it happen. Amen. It's easy for God to do it. Let him do it. Amen? Amen? You know, I think about King David. As he was, I mean, he was a guy who, who was anointed to be king of Israel. But then it seems like all of a sudden God's forgotten about him because next thing you know, he's kicked out of the throne. He's kicked out of the kingdom and he's getting hunted by, the, by his former king. You know, the former king's supposed to be the one, like, you know, taking him under the wing and teaching him the ropes. But this king is, like, trying to kill him and he's trying to come around him with an army. And I wonder, like, what David was thinking. I wonder, he's like, oh, my God, I, I thought, I mean, what is going on here? What are you doing? But David, what he did was he just believed. Okay, he refused to take things into his own hands. He believed that God would make it happen. Even in moments where he had a chance to, like, get, get back at King Saul, he didn't do anything. And you know, what, you know what? In the end, God works in mysterious ways. A few things happen, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, the elders of Judea, or of Israel, invite him back, and then he becomes the king of Israel. David just believed. He tried to, I mean, he, he was guarding his life, too, during the same time. But he just believed. All the more. And, um, same thing, God will make it happen. God will make it happen. Um, but one thing that we need to do is we need to have a vision for our lives. All right? It's not, you know, just believe, but you need to believe in something. Amen? You know, you can't just be like, okay, God will make it happen. It doesn't work that way. Have a vision for your life. See yourself there. See yourself being free of doing things. If you don't have that, then it's going to be tough. But when you have that and you have a vision for your life, like, that's, that's where you're going to start heading towards. And that's where God's going to come behind you, partner with you to help you reach that place. But have a vision for your life. And that's kind of what Jesus did in this story. Jesus says, this, he, 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 he vision casts pretty much. He vision casts and kicks the people out at the same time. He says, a daughter is not dead, but asleep. Jesus casts vision. And we need to have the same vision. Your dream is not dead. It's, but a, it's just asleep. Okay? Your hope is not dead. It's just asleep. Your healing is not dead. It's just asleep. All right? Your job promotion is not dead. It's just asleep. Your wife is not dead. She's just asleep. <laughs> Your husband is not dead. He's just asleep. Amen? Amen? All right? It's there. All right? And God will awaken in its time. But do you have that vision for your life? Do you have that vision? Or are you just going about with no vision, you know, and just moping around? You're not going to get anywhere like that. You need to have a vision for your life. And, and all you got to do, have the vision and just believe. And just believe. And God will be the one to make it happen. He'll establish it. And I just, there's a powerful story. I, I spent some time at Bethel. I was in their school of worship for one month. And I remember one of the teachers, Chris Valentin, he comes in. He gives a powerful testimony of his life where if you saw Chris Valentin speak right now, you would never think this of him. Because he's just authoritative man of God. He speaks, he, he, he just, he's, he's, he's got anointing over his life. And he's, he's written books that, uh, that have blessed me. But, um, but he, he shared about his earlier life when he was saying that he used to, struggle with severe depression and severe anxiety attacks like he would just stay at home for months not doing anything but lying on the couch and then even when he tried to drink a cup of water his, his hand would start shaking because he just get panic attacks just out of nowhere but then what happened was that while this was all going on a man of god came to the congregation and spoke vision over his life he said chris you are destined to speak to nations you are destined to write books you are destined to do all these things 
And Chris, he got nothing going on for him. He's got all these psychological issues. I mean, he's just a car mechanic, if anything. And he's just, like, broken. But he writes them down on a piece of paper. He writes those words down. He takes faith in those words. And this is what he does. He takes a paper, he wraps it up, and wherever he goes, he puts it in his briefcase. And whenever those attacks come, he takes it out and he reads those words. You know, I am, that's my calling in life, to be a speaker, to be a man of God, to, to, to write, to, to be an influencer. He reads it. He reads it every single time he gets a depression attack. He, he, every single time he gets an anxiety attack, he keeps reading it, reading it, reading it, reminding himself what God's called him to do, reminding himself of the vision God has for his life. He just believed. And now look at him right now. He's one of the most, like, most esteemed. He's one of the greatest teachers in the church right now. Like, he's an amazing, amazing teacher and um, a man of God. But all he did was just believe. And then God did the rest. You know, sooner or later through time, God got rid of his anxiety issues, depression issues. And, like, God's just given him an amazing voice to speak. And that's how it is just for us. We just need to just believe, guys. Just believe. It will happen. Mm. In the meantime, we're waiting, many of us. Amen to that. Like, amen. <laughs> I want to speak this truth to you, though. Waiting time, there's a purpose for it. Waiting time is not wasted time. Turn to each other and say, waiting time is not wasted time. God is doing something right now. Guys, God is not just... He, he, I, I don't believe this of God. God is not putting the brakes... You know, it's not like God's ever stopped in motion, you know. He's always moving forward. He's always doing something. Even when we don't see the effects of it, he's always doing something in the secret. He's always working. He's moving. He's contending for your behalf. Romans 8, 28, and all good things, he's working for the good of those who love you. He's working. You know, he's not taking a break. He's working. He's continuing to work, even when you cannot see it, okay? So God is doing something, and he's going to make everything beautiful, and it's time. So he's doing something in this season but one of the reasons that I share on our part why waiting time is not wasted time is because, honestly, to the spirit, now this is important to catch this, and this is something God's been teaching me these days, um, faith, it's, it's more than just a belief that things will happen. Faith is more than just a belief that things will happen. It's more than just a grace of waiting it out. Okay? Faith is more than just a consolatory word for like encouragement. But, guys, faith, it's supposed to manifest. If you believe that something will happen, it just can't remain a thought. And I'm not just talking about doing something to achieve your goal. It needs to affect the way you feel. It needs to affect the way that you think. It needs to affect the way that you respond to situations. Faith should be changing your character, not just your circumstances, right now. That's the word of the Lord. He wants to change your character in this season. He wants to do something in your life. That's what faith does. Faith should manifest itself. It expresses itself through joy in the current season right now. It expresses itself through patience when someone who annoys the heck out of you comes along and, and does something to push your buttons. You know, you're like, bless you. Like, that's faith right there. That's faith. It's like, because I have something good coming towards me. I know what God's calling me towards. And, and, you, know, and you know, I'm filled with joy. Nothing can, nothing harm me. Nothing can hurt me. Faith expresses itself through the fruits of the Spirit. So I want us to stop thinking about faith as just another word just for waiting, but think about faith as something that needs to be manifested in the current right now, like something that, is, that, that, that should be changing us right now in our character and who we are, if we really believe. Because honestly, between circumstance and between character, between changing our circumstances or changing our character, 
God is so much more interested in changing your character. Like I said before, circumstances come easily to God. He can just, and it'll happen. When I think of Joseph in the dungeon, one, one, one minute he's, a, he's like a, a capital rapist, and the next minute he's the prime minister of, of Egypt. I mean, you don't, you don't get that. That's as good as it comes for like a change right there, you know, in just circumstance. Um, so many stories of, like, of that in the Bible. Just, you know, circumstances come easy to God, but, what's, but what doesn't come easy um, is God is more interested in our character. He wants that to be established. He wants that to be conformed. And actually, a lot of times, our character is, is a stepping stone for us to get to where we need to be a lot of times. If you realize that. So there's something God wants to do in your life right now. You know, some of you are like, I've been so faithful. I've waited all this time. I, you know, I've been coming to Sunday school every Sunday. I've been coming to, I've been fasting and praying. I've been, you know, I've been raising my hands in worship all the, song, all the entire time. I haven't let it down. God, where are you? You know, I've been, I've been a good person. And I'm like, you know, it's like, really? That sounds like entitlement to me. You know, like, God's more interested in changing your character. Okay? He's, he, like, is, is that so important? Or finally, is Jesus enough for you right now? Isn't that the question of our lives? You'll want to do crazy things. I do too. You'll want to do awesome things. But right now in this current season, is Jesus enough for you? You'll want to get married. I do too. You know, you'll want to, you know, do something that makes you love your life. You know, like your job. I don't know, whatever. But is Jesus enough for you right now? Do you love your, do you love your life right now just on the merit of knowing Jesus and that he's your portion? God would always bring you to a place where he'll make you answer that question before you go anywhere. One of the biggest encouragements I get from this long passage is actually at the end, where when this girl gets raised, wasn't the dead, we read that the parents are astonished. Astonished. And I love that, because I'm so glad that they weren't like, oh, we knew that would happen. You know, like, we, we just believed all along, Jesus. You know, good job. Like, they were astonished. And, man, like, I just feel like that's a, a word of encouragement for us. Sometimes we feel like we need to be all these like crazy Christians. We need to like we need to be in a place of faith and we need to establish everything that I said before. But my encouragement to you is that even in your unbelief right now, you know, even as you're fighting, you know, your unbelief, and even as you're as you're contending for faith and hope, God will still accomplish his purpose in your life. He will still be faithful to the work he started in your life. Whether you are like those parents and you're astonished, or whether you can just say, I knew it was coming, and I praise the Lord, like, God will still do it in your life. Um, I remember um, when I, back in the States, and for a long time in my life, actually, I struggled with a stomach condition called irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. I've never shared this publicly, um, but I just feel like, see, this is what I was hinting to back before, early in the message. And it's something I've always prayed to God, like, as a youth, like, God, please, like, heal my stomach, because it would... It would, just, it would just inhibit me from doing a lot of things in life, and it would just make me miserable. And, um, but at a certain point, I just felt like I need to live with it. You know, high school turned to college, college turned to seminary, seminary turned to ministry. It's like, you know what? I just have to live with the stomach condition. You know, nothing. You know, I just, I just need to always be around the bathroom, you know, when I go out. Um, I, will, I will always need to 
wear loose pants because, you know, when I wear tight pants, like, my stomach would hurt. I would always need to carry a water bottle around me just because I get dehydrated. And, um, you know, I'll always need to kind of, you know, like, I, I'm going to always have to live with this. And then um, when I was in prayer of coming over to New Philly, and Pastor Christian, Pastor Aaron, they were back in the States, and they stayed at my house, and we had our first meeting. And, and I was just kind of warning them. And this is what I've done to any sort of ministry I've gone in. When I talk to the pastors, I'd be like, guys, um, I'm all in, but just know that there are times when my stomach, IBS would flare up, and, and you know, there's not much I can do about that. So I hope you guys just accept that. And, um, and I remember telling that to PC. <laughs> and, and PC was just like, oh, you know, I feel like God's going to heal that. And I was like, I was like, okay, all right. I was just like, all right, this guy doesn't understand, you know. He doesn't know what I've been through in my life. He doesn't know, like, you know, how many times I tried, how many people I've had laid my light hands, you know, just pray for me, anointed men and women of God. And um, I was just like, okay, whatever. I just brushed it aside. You know, I, I was in a place of unbelief. I just was like, I'll just manage it. And then I come to Korea, and, and from, and like, as soon as I touched down on Korea, you can ask Pastor Marcus, Pastor David on, like immediately my stomach problems just hit me. And I'm just like going crazy because like I'm just like, I'm in a new environment. I'm, I'm stressed out and that triggers a lot of stomach issues. And I was just like, man, what is going on? And I was like, all my fears about coming to Korea are coming true. And, and like, it was tough. And I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna have to deal with this. I'm gonna have to deal with this. But then... A year later, a year and a half later, two years later, I'm just noticing that I'm feeling a lot more comfortable. You know, it's really subtle. It's not like all of a sudden, bam, like I was healed. But I was like little by little, like I'm realizing like, no, I could eat food. It's, I'm healthy. Okay, good. I noticed that when I'm in the subway, I'm not as anxious about bathrooms anymore. Um, when I'm taking bus rides in public, I would always be anxious about like driving for long periods of time because I, I needed a bathroom. I was like, I'm not as anxious anymore. There's just a peace that's come over me. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, am I, am I just becoming older, you know? Maybe, like, when you get older, you just kind of, you grow out of it, maybe. You grow out of IBS. And I should never tell someone who struggles with IBS. Maybe I should, because it's faith. But, um, but it's like, but I'm like, no, that's not true. Because when I read about people who struggle with IBS, like, they're really inhibited. They can't do much in their life. And they suffer with that entire lives, you know? And, um, and like, they have websites where they, it's like, it's like Google Map, but then it tells you where all the toilets are. And so people with IBS have to go on that website and be like, you know, and plan the course. Like, I had to do almost something close to that whenever I went. But, like, that broke off me when I was here. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, am I just getting comfortable here with Korea or what? what? And, then, um, and then I pick up exercising. And I, I start exercising. And all of a sudden, it gets crazy. It's like, like I can start wearing, like, tight pants again, you know? <laughs> You know, I, I can start to wear stuff that's, uh, that keeps, you know, that the pressure's on my belly. And I don't have to keep it loose because it's embarrassing, guys. Like, when I'm sitting down, I have to loose, you know, my buckle. Then I get up, I have to, like, tighten it without anyone seeing. It was the most embarrassing, demoralizing thing. But now, like, I, can I testify? I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm less dependent on a water bottle, too. I can go out to public without a water bottle most times. Um... Like, it, I, I would be lying to you right now if I said IBS was an issue in my life right now. You know, I, I was able to go on missions. Yeah. Like, I hated missions. <laughs> oh, it came out too strong. Um, <laughs> actually, it's because of missions that my stomach problem started, to be honest. That's why. I went to Mexico when I was in high school, back-to-back -back summers. 
And then from there, I caught something. And I, I actually used to be a bit, um, I'm, I'm a bit more skinnier, but I used to be a bit more uh, chunkier. And I lost like 30 pounds at, at the end of each summer. And I never regained it back. So like, I always had the stigma about missions. And when New Philly came to missions, I was like, no, I don't want to go. And then Lisa was like, you're going to Bangladesh. <laughs> I was like, no. But then Bangladesh is, was arguably my favorite mission trip so far. I went there, no stomach issues whatsoever. The worst thing about Bangladesh was the mosquito bites. <laughs> they had such good food. I mean, it was like amazing. I mean, that's a testimony of itself that I can testify about the food, you know. Um, and now, guys, I'm in a place where I love missions. I do. I, I look forward to it. I'm going to be the preaching pastor to go to Nepal. And I was just like, I went with, from Lisa signing Nepal. I was like, what? Lisa, not Nepal. I wanted to go to Tokyo to be with the dance team, you know, and, you know, videograph their stuff. But like, Nepal, she's got something against me. She's got something against me. Like, and then I, and then, and then I had to like shift myself out of that. But, um, but like, even, but even then, like, my response, my bounce back was like, you know what? God's done so much in my life already. He's brought me from glory to glory to glory to glory. And now he's sending me to Nepal, and it's like the hardest place you can go to in the winter. You're up there in the Himalayas. But glory, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to take it on. Like, bring it on. Bring it on. Because, you know, I know, like, God wants me to go and conquer even that. And so, like, when I look back right now, guys, I'm healed. Amen. I'm healed. This is public. I, I'm healed. Okay? Like, I am free, more free than I've ever been in my life. It's not an issue anymore. I can go out and eat and go to eat chas and some chas and sat chas. <laughs> back in the States, I went to like zero cha, you know? I just go eat dinner and come right back home in my car. But now I can go out and, and you know what? It's like, I, I, I come before God, I'm just like, God, you, you did it. <laughs> How did you do it, you know? It's like, man, I had so much unbelief. But God still did it. And I'm, I'm in the same place as these parents. I'm like astonished. But my word of encouragement to you is that God can still do something even when you struggle. Some of you guys are like, you know, I need to be in a place of faith. I need to be like Pastor Marcus to see this. Guys, I'm, I'm a broken guy. You know, I, I think so much thoughts all the time, and I just I torment myself with my thoughts. But it, it's not about me. It's God. And the work he started in your life, he'll be faithful is complete. Amen. And so God is just invo- inviting you guys to, when it comes down to it, enjoy the ride. Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be, are you going to walk are you going to be in a place of thanksgiving and praise? Or are you just going to be bitter, you know, believing that you're never going to get there? You have an attitude, you have an opportunity right now, even in the most tough situations, to say, God, I believe in you in this hour. And I know on that day, like, when, when it happens, I'm not going to be surprised. But I'm going to praise you and thank you. Like, you have that opportunity right now. It's a precious season. And for me, I'm, I'm still waiting for a lot of things in my life. But right now, this word challenges me because it challenges me to, to lift up praise, thanksgiving, and worship. Even though there's so much stuff that I still I feel like I, need, I want to contend for in my life. But right now, I'm going to praise God and thank him. And I'm going to live like that. And then when it happens, I'm going to look back and be like, God, I always believed you. I never lost faith in you. I always had faith. I always believed it. I want that testimony. Do you guys want that testimony? That's the stuff that pleases God. That's the stuff that he will boast about to his angels when you stand before the Lord on that last day.